What do you want the candidates to be discussing as they compete for votes? This is 508, a show about Worcester. It's November the 16th, 2018. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Milliken. You would shake it, brother. Hi, Brendan. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Brendan, what do you want the candidates to be discussing as they compete for votes? Which candidates are we talking about? Oh, you know, the the Worcester, Worcester candidates. No, we talked about this a little bit last week. I still think I, I have had a week to think about it, and yeah. I still think that uh, recreational marijuana should be top of that list. So we have here, I have here weed, gentrification slash redevelopment, depending on how you want to frame that issue, public transit and self-driving cars, depending on how you want to frame that issue, and universal basic income. Yeah, so... Is is snow removal something? (laughs) So I I think what we need to have is just maybe some forums uh, reminding people that snow is actually a thing. Uh, It has been a thing uh, since at least, I don't know. It's been a thing for a while now, right? We've been doing this pretty consistently. This is—I feel like this is this can be our annual our annual rant where we complain about uh, Worcester existing as a uh, you know Western style city for hundreds of years and still not understanding how to deal with snow. And I don't, you know, I I don't really knock the city on the snow removal side. Like every once in a while, it'll get a little weird, you know. It's and, and you get caught by by surprise. So you go back to Monday, we were supposed to have an inch of snow and it was going to be gone. It was going to like be followed by rain and be gone. We obviously get a lot more than that. I don't mind the city getting blindsided by snow removal because if you grew up in New England, if you live in New England, you should know how to navigate snow. As a pedestrian, as a cyclist, as a car driver, if you're riding a horse, you should know how to make sure that your your horse is going to be able to handle the snow. What I have a problem with is like there's a car parked over the end of the street over by uh, Mass College Pharmacy. It is parked directly under a sign that says no parking anytime, and, like, the plow went around that. In my mind, like, that's where, like, salty New Englanders have gone sideways. That plow driver should have gone, hit the back end of that car and pushed it straight into the parking lot at the other end of, uh, of, of Waldo Street here. That's the only proper way to deal with that person. This hasn't been snowing in 12 hours, and that car is still sitting there. Now that big, lump, awkward lump of snow is going to sit there for a week. Those are the people we need to deal with in a, in a, in a sort of heavy-handed way, Mike. But this isn't something that we should this, – this, this should not be an election issue. This is not an election issue. This is a common-sense sort of issue. This is like, you know, this is rolling through stop signs sort of stuff. This is uh, – yeah, sometimes it's sunny and you might want to put on some sunscreen. Like these are basic reminders that things happen in life and uh, you should be prepared for them. So are you excited about uh, weed coming online this – Hopefully this week. We might actually have, like, accessible legal weed from a retail establishment this week. You know, something that – you know what? I just realized a, a study that I should have printed out and brought to the show this week was a study which was looking into – So the answer is no. You're not as excited as I am. It was looking into the question of whenever people legalize marijuana in an area, mm-hmm. do the people who are involved in that, you know, smuggling, organized crime trade – increase their activity in other drugs? Sure, sure. And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think sort of feel like the most famous example in American history would be like the growth of the mafia during Prohibition, right? right. Which is like the mafia booms during Prohibition, you know, the Sicilian organized crime, whatever. And, uh, you know, but then Prohibition ends mm-hmm. and you got all these guys who are like, well, I've spent, you know, I have a whole career spent in like smuggling, right. beating people up, organized crime, whatever. I'm not going to just, like, go to work for a brewery. I'm going to, like, do some other crimes. Right. We really have an organization here. And, you know, and it, took, then it took generations to, like, 
dismantle that. You yeah. know, we've had some setbacks and it still hasn't been completely dismantled. But thankfully, though, that even though you have that uptick in, which I think should be kind of common sense, right? Because you're, you're talking about a population that's just making a really basic, basic risk reward sort of. Uh, well, right. There's plenty of people who are in the drug trade who are famously are making less than minimum wage. Totally. But on the on, that's usually on the almost the, the closer you get to the user side of things. Right. Like on the back end of things, like like weed has gotten really popular over the last couple decades because demand, especially demand amongst older folks has gone through the roof as decriminalization started. Um, and the, the risks are relatively low because, you know, not too many folks on the local and state level outside of uh, Florida and like Alabama are really concerned about weed that much. So you've got a ton of reward and very, very little risk. Um, but you take that out of the picture, you know, then it's just continuing that algorithm going. So how much risk are we willing to absorb as an, as an institution or an organization to continue making money without having to get a straight job? So we're going to have legalized weed possibly this week. Should be this week, yeah. Where I mean, are people going to buy this? Cultivate, up in Luster, Massachusetts. That's not an advertisement, but that's the only, uh, so there's only two retail establishments that have gone through all of the steps thus far uh, with the state. Uh, both of them are, are in existence today as medical dispensaries. One is Netta out in um, uh, Northampton. The other is Cultivate uh, Holdings up in Leicester, Massachusetts. But Leicester looks like it's going to come online first. So we're going to be the first. Worcester County is, I wish it was Worcester, man. This is why it needs to be a city council issue. But um, Leicester is going to be the first place east of the Mississippi River that you can buy recreational marijuana. You know, I feel like maybe if the framing, this would have been the framing to put it last election, would be to say, do you, Mr. Politician, want Worcester to be the first city in the Commonwealth to mm -hmm. have medical or to have weed stores or the last city in the Commonwealth? Right. Like, where are you on that? On that, Or the middle city in the Commonwealth? Sure. You know, like, where are you with that issue? Not, not an issue part of the last election. I well, we talked about this a while back, and I think it, actually the last election cycle, uh, and I think the thing that needs to be discussed are some of the artificial caps that have been put on recreational. So yes. I think in Worcester it's 16 licenses they're going to have for actual point of sale uh, dispensaries. To me that's just setting yourself up for uh, regret down the line, right? Like one of the things that has made everybody in political circles over the last couple of years has been talking about the health and growth of the Worcester restaurant scene. That health and growth is fully predicated on the idea that we never capped our liquor licenses. Unlike in Boston. Unlike Boston, unlike most cities, where they cost a small fortune to acquire, and it obviously uh, uh, massively increases your cost of even opening the doors. In Worcester, you know, the process of getting a liquor, the process of getting a liquor license is um, basically going down to the uh, down to city hall. And I, my my hearing just went out, so that's I'm going to move on. Um, it's back. Oh, it's back. Well, the process is just going out to City Hall and uh, applying for a license, assuming that you can pass a background check, and that's about all you have to do. And, and it lowers that bar, and it allows us to uh, increase business and in what I think is a more healthy sort of market-based approach, where businesses are going to do well based on the customers they can bring in, not based on the uh, sacks of cash they can bring to the table to open the doors. And you, and so, and so this is, I mean, this is why we in Worcester have. Uh, restaurant industry disproportionate to the restaurant goingness of Worcester residents because Even, we can yeah. serve many, many nearby urban areas where because of caps on liquor licenses, 
You can't open a restaurant, at least not cheap. And I worry that's the same sort of thing that ends up happening, or the opposite ends up happening in uh, with weed. Like, you know, you're going to basically be creating an artificial economy predicated on the idea that there's equity built into these licenses versus uh, the quality of product oh, or like the demand. Oh, like licenses. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're putting it, it's a, it's a totally artificial cap that isn't rel, isn't uh, reflective of the, the wants of the population in terms of buying. So I don't understand liquor licenses at all. I could actually learn a lot from this episode of 508. So, so you can just go in front of the whatever commission and say, hey, license hey man, hey license commission, I want a liquor license. Sure. I'm willing to pay whatever the fee is for $2, it. $2,500. Right. And I'm willing to go through whatever, jump through whatever the hoops are mm -hmm. to, to qualify for it and maintain myself in good standing. And they say, great, if you're willing to do this and you seem plausible and, you know, like, if your bar hasn't been like causing riots and sure. stuff, sure, you can pay us $2,500 and have a liquor license. And whenever you start causing problems, maybe we yank your license, we see how it goes. Right. And then you're thinking we should do the same thing with weed stores. I totally do, yeah, because in Boston, the, what you have is... Are they doing that in Boston with weed stores? No, no. I mean, almost everybody is looks to be putting caps on. And Boston is looks to be very unfriendly to weed in general. Mayor Marty Walsh is not. Uh, where Mayor Menino uh, seems most focused on keeping Chick Fil A out of Boston, uh, Mayor Walsh seems most interested in keeping weed out of Boston. Um, has a lot to do with his, uh, his his relationships with the addiction treatment industry and a belief he seems to hold that there is a strong uh, causation between smoking weed and moving on to hard drugs. You know, this is interesting because I would, I would think that the argument against having unlimited weed licenses in Worcester is to say, like, do you really want a bunch of stone people wandering the streets of Worcester? People As opposed from, to today when you have a bunch of stone people wandering the streets of Worcester. Do you want even more stone people wandering the streets of Worcester or do you want less? And the people would say, well, I want less. But it's not like reputation is like the city of drunks crashing into things right. and wandering around, not any more than any place else in the region. Well, and, and more importantly than that, you know, the experience of Colorado, California, uh, Oregon, uh, whatever, is that you end up with fewer people smoking weed in public and doing weird stuff with it. It's like the numbers actually decrease. Like in all the states that have recreational, kids don't smoke weed anymore because their parents do. And who wants to do the boring things your parents do? Not me. Do we want to go to a break? You guys are just on Facebook right now. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. We're not even on okay. the Okay, well, there's three people watching us on Facebook, so Thank that's you exciting. For that three hey, hey, Facebook viewers. The millions of folks who would normally be listening at home, apparently. You know, I was watching, Gab, maybe you can fill me in on this. I was watching the little promo piece that uh, Josh did before their show started, and he made some bizarre comment about climbing up on top of the building to the top of our radio tower and smashing it to the ground. Is that actually, like, happening or something? Or? Um, I don't know. It's been causing problems all day. Today, oh, cool. So. Okay, cool. Um, Who needs radio? <laughs> is um, what else can I ask you about liquor licenses? Well, so what I was going to say though is yeah. in, in Boston, what you see part of the problem is is you could have the greatest idea, the greatest concept, you could be the the the, the most uh, storied mixologist in the history of mankind, but unless you have uh, the capital to purchase a liquor license from an existing operation, uh, and that number is mostly going to be set by that operation itself it doesn't matter how great you are, right? Like, it, it, it kind of puts a, a roadblock into what I think most Americans would view as being sort of like the healthiness of our entrepreneurial spirit and whatnot. And I kind of get it. It's a new industry, so people want to be careful about it. But that's actually how you hurt new industries. And I think one of the bigger uh, and legitimate complaints about the end of prohibition was when the federal government created that sort of three-tiered system of the brewers, uh, the distributors.
Well, now there's now there's now there's now there's an echo. Okay. Well, we just did the whole show without sound. That was exciting. We were miming, is what we were doing. Yeah. Well, nothing to do with sound. This is you were supposed. This explains why we have such a low number of Facebook viewers. Okay. Now that we have sound, we're gonna have even less. We're getting this together, aren't we? Um. Luckily, we get to edit this, so it doesn't matter. Um. So the so so the first question that I had that we didn't have sound for was. Has there been a reboot of Smokey and the Bandit? There has not been a reboot of Smokey and the Bandit, but be- there should be. Because the original Smokey and the Bandit was about smuggling cores out of Colorado, yeah. and you could have one now it's about smuggling legalized marijuana products out of Colorado. Right. The second question I have for you is, to get back to my theory of playing this in Worcester politics, like you say we should have unlimited licenses. There should still be a process. I'm not, I, and I actually think that our, pro, although it could be refined from a technological perspective, our process for liquor licenses is very fair and straightforward, right? Like if you, if you meet yeah. these qualifications uh, and you have some experience in the industry, uh, after passing a background uh, investigation by both local authorities and state authorities, you can then be granted a liquor license. It seems perfectly straightforward for a reasonable amount of money too. Uh, I'm just suggesting that we should have a very similar uh, process here in Worcester that isn't um, predicated on, you know, an like arbitrary how do we number, limit the number of uh, that really is based on alcohol establishments as well, too. It's a percentage of the number of liquor licenses we have, which it just seems odd. Wait, it's a percentage of the number of liquor licenses? The, the, the formula that's used is it, it's based on like, it's, if, I, if I remember correctly, it's based on the number, it's a percentage of the number of, a ratio uh, based on the number of liquor licenses. So as we there. put out more liquor licenses, we get more weed licenses. But this is the thing, like, I, it, it doesn't make any sense. Just just have as many as you want. Like, if, right. just have them unlimited. We could never have more months. liquor places than, more weed places than liquor places, though, because well, of conceivably that. we could, well, right now, no, but I mean, that's, I guess, part of the problem, too. Conceivably, over time, you could could as, as tastes change, right? Like, we know it's safe to assume that part of the popularity behind alcohol is its availability, not necessarily that people love alcohol, right? Like, because you don't have anything to weigh it against. It, it exists in a vacuum. Sure. As uh, decriminalization and legalization efforts happen, even in areas outside of marijuana regarding other con- currently controlled substances, you have a completely different universe to try and explore at that point. And then, you know, who knows, maybe 10, 20, 50 years down the road, we get to a point where we say, well, I mean, we should probably start regulating this alcohol thing the way we do cigarettes now. We get to a point where so few people are actually using it, there's no upside to even keeping it uh, a viable product on the market anymore, yeah. weighed against the, 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 the dangers we know uh, exist within the marketplace. How do you present it politically to the Worcester City Council, or how does a councillor put out a proposal that's politically acceptable that would say, let's have unlimited sure. weed licenses in Worcester. And you were saying that these people are totally misunderstanding the electorate in that they think that's even necessary, that any one of them would get more votes right. if they came out as like the hero of all weed. I want a million weed licenses in Worcester. Any one of them would actually get more votes. They just don't realize it. Assuming you have to put together this package, this spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down package. Sure. Does the state give us enough leeway in regulating marijuana establishments that we could put out, a city council could propose to say, I want to lift the cap on the number of licenses, but I want to increase other sorts of restrictions on who gets to open these places. Yeah, so that on that, net, arguably, it's a conservative thing, Mm -hmm. you know, even though, like, yeah. I, that's a, a question I don't I don't know the answer to, but I mean I, that's actually one of the things that was really well thought out 
in the state's um, package that the, the cities and towns do have to respect uh, are those guidelines about who can open establishments and whatnot. Like, right. uh, and, and there's a lot of favoritism in, in the process that goes to folks who represent demographics that were uh, disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs, right? Like, they're, okay. they're in the same way that, uh, you know, there are small business grants that come from communities uh, for women and minorities opening up a, a business. We're doing the same thing uh, from when it comes to recreational weed. Drug war reparations. Folks that, yeah, basically that. Yeah, but I guess I, I, I do think it's weird when we get into, I'm, you know well enough, I'm just not a prohibition guy. I, I'm still waiting for anybody to give me a single... Uh, even fuzzy example of where prohibition has worked anywhere in the history of ever throughout the known universe. And I've been waiting for that for a really long time and I still haven't seen it. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I just don't like the concept of prohibition. I think there is something to be said for very smart regulation. I think oftentimes the thing that makes Massachusetts great is that we actually are really good about regulation and smart regulation, but our puritanical sensibilities, I think, also get in the way, and we slow things down to a point where sometimes we miss the boat entirely. Now, it turns out when it comes to the eastern seaboard, we are still ahead of the curve when it comes to recreational marijuana, but it's only a matter of time before another state pops off and gets in our way. And this is, it kind of quickly becomes the Vegas problem, right? Like, when Las Vegas was the only place that you could go to gamble, you could be sure if you were involved in, with anything in Vegas that you were going to uh, receive the dividends of the only gambling you know, in the universe happening in your city. When everybody has gambling, well, suddenly Vegas gets into more in the realm of like entertainment and what else can we do to keep our heads above water because we built a ton of infrastructure here and the revenue streams just aren't the same. I do worry that uh, we could potentially miss out on a once-in-a-lifetime really amazing opportunity to bring boatloads of cash into the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Specifically into the city of Worcester. Specifically into the city of Worcester in central Massachusetts and what? not necessarily know... What's okay, up? you can just interrupt us. Yeah. I'm sorry. Do you guys want to go back on the sure. radio? Sure. Yeah, we yeah radio. let's go back on the radio. All right. We'll just keep talking. Um, count, count, count me down and I'll reintroduce ourselves to our radio audience. Okay. Facebook friends, we're sorry that you have to go through this, but uh, Radio Tower is down, so we're kind of playing both sides here. So five, four, three, two, we don't know who you are. We don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, we can tell you we don't have money. But what we do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills we have acquired over the course of a long-running podcast. Skills that make us a nightmare for people like you. If you let Gary Rosen go now, that'll be the end of it. We will not look for you. We will not pursue you. But if you don't, we will look for you. We will find you. And we will kill you. This is 508 on Worcester's Unity Radio, back on the air. Brendan Mellican talking about why we should have uh, a marijuana licensing regime in Worcester like our alcohol licensing regime and that there would be unlimited licenses. Plenty of regulation, but not regulation in terms of limiting the number of licenses. That's what I was talking about. But now that you did the Liam Neeson routine, I would like to say that, um, see, I think this was a missed opportunity. All week long, all I've heard is people doing that same bit because, you know, everyone loves his routine from the Taken, right? Yes. I get it. That's cool. Yes. What needed to happen this week Schindler's was... Li more Schindler's List jokes. No, what needed to happen... You're an awful human being. What needed to happen this week was Kalinovic showing up uh, on Commercial Street uh, with a pack of koi wolves on leashes 
and see how quickly it would take for Liam Neeson to find broken nips bottles on the ground, tape them into between his fingers as Colin released the hounds on him and that from that last scene in The Grey. The Grey is like a way better movie than Taken. I, I mean, less Taken dialogue. Is great, That's why. There's <laughs> a lot more wolves. Less more dialogue, wolves, more wolves. Less dialogue. Do you feel like this will be a germane topic of political conversation nine months from now? Or do you think this missing the boat is missing the boat if we don't do it in the next month? So we're, this is we're where done. I think it gets weird. It's it's not going to be a meaningful part of an electoral cycle because by the time next year's election comes around, this industry is moving so fast. And even now, like most most media seems to be behind it, where rarely do you find like uh, a scary op-ed about you know how weed's going to kill all your kids and, and make them jazz musicians or whatever the hell we used to complain about weed. Mm-hmm. The everybody's on board now, right? So, like, the, I think the strange thing that's going to happen, like you were suggesting, and you could be very well be correct, that maybe there is a, a larger uh, than average population here in Worcester that's still really weirded out by, by weed and scared of it. They're going to be completely politically irrelevant from that perspective within the next year. Within the next 10 years, we're talking chewing gum, right? Like, we're not talking about something that's even going to be discussed, which is why I get a little angsty or I get a little anxious that we are missing a boat because it's just going to be, the, 10 years from now, the okay. way it is, is going to be the way it is, because that's the way it always was. When so, we, let me, I want to I rephrase this, because I want to, I want to, I'm asking a slightly different question. Yeah. So, assuming that, you know, nine months from now, this, this question, it, that the Commonwealth will be more obviously pro-weed than mm-hmm. it is now, and politicians will be more comfortable with that, do you think that, it will still be a legit thing to talk about for the next election. Like, should we change the local regulations around this to change the number of licenses? I assume that. Yeah, I assume that I, that's always true. Like, for example, um, you know, Lemonster, I assume, has some limited number of alcohol licenses, right. unlike Worcester. And if somebody said, "Hey, would it be good for Lemonster to have an unlimited number of alcohol licenses?" I think anybody would say, "Yeah, sure, probably." If you're on that libertarian vibe, as yeah. you and I famously are, the libertarian <laughs> voice of Worcester. Yeah, definitely. So probably, so I mean, this is like, I feel like this is, a, is, is this, whenever we have weed on the list of things we're going to ask the candidates for 2019, mm-hmm. is that really what we mean? Is we mean weed, 0% or 100%? Where are you on that list? Zero licenses, infinite licenses. Where are you on that? Yeah, and I, I think that's going to be the key, right? Because, and I don't expect things to change overnight. I mean, I have my own opinions and they're probably biased uh, in terms of where I think the industry should have gone or be directed right out of the gate from a state perspective. Um, that's what I think we were talking about a little bit when uh, the last, when the, the station came back online was, um, you know, sometimes I feel like the Commonwealth gets in its own way because it, we're so good at regulating things when we get it right and when we're given the opportunity to get it right. At the same time, that that process, I think, forces us to move a little bit slower than is sometimes uh, in our best interests, especially when we're talking about things like a, a brand new industry like marijuana that is, is talk, you're talking about massive revenue streams that you could very well miss. Right, A lot of what we're going to be seeing in Massachusetts, it's not just because it's legal weed, right? Like, I think we talked about this in the past. One of the great fears Colorado had about our recreational uh, passage here in Massachusetts had nothing to do with us competing like on the other side of the Mississippi River. It had to do with the fact that we're actually a more attractive tourism destination in New England than Colorado is, right? Colorado's Why? Tour- because New England's... Because there's nothing There's nothing in Colorado. There's- okay, Mike, I, right. I get it. Go ahead. Look, so so, okay. in, we'll start with the math. In Colorado, 
w- at the time we passed our recreational bill, right? Yes. In Colorado, with legalized weed, their tourism revenue was $18 billion a year, right? Okay. In Massachusetts, without legalized weed, our tourism revenue was roughly $18 billion a year. What are people coming to Massachusetts to do? Oh, so we have the arguably the best beaches in the world, right? Like the National Seashore is always top 10 at best beaches in the world, right? Like we're not, and this is one of those things that we take for granted, right? Beaches in the world. I'm not saying like on the Eastern Seaboard. Everything like, that you're saying is blowing my mind. I Keep know, going. yeah. But you, you hop, you poke around a good tourism review of like, you know, beach beachfront and our national seashores, uh, you know, or the Orleans area by the beachcomber, which I think fell into the ocean last year. Um always regarded as some of the best beaches in the world. Uh, yeah, in the world. It's crazy, I know. Um, skiing, some of the best skiing in the world for people who really love skiing, right? You go out west, you're going to get all that powder and whatnot, but there's a reason why so many of our Olympic uh, athletes and you know, national-level ap- athletes train here in New England because we get ice. We get, like, real weather where, like, you don't know what kind of conditions you're going to get when you go uh, away for, uh, you know, a, a competition. Uh, so, Temperature could drop, you know, weather could happen or whatnot. So you train for like real weather. Like our skiing up up north is incredible, and that's only a couple hours away from central Massachusetts. Um, you know, so you're so you're saying that so you're saying that there's kind of that whole birthplace of the nation thing we got going for us. That, so you're uh, saying to bring that some people in. At some point, Colorado is at some point Colorado was like this marijuana thing is going to help jazz our tourist industry, and which then, it did, and then massively, an, and then another place with a comparable tourist industry. Is like, well, we'll also legalize it. And then Colorado's like, curses. They're going to be taken out of the same fixed pie of. I mean, it, it's, I know tourists. it's crazy when you think of it because we're so uh, self uh, deprecating in, in, in Massachusetts, in particular, New England. But I mean, think of the Amsterdam. Here's the Amsterdam of the Commonwealth. But think, That's my selling point. But think of, think of New England and think of any sector. Like any sector, sports, uh, you know, culture, history, business, even technology, like rivaling the Bay Area at this point when you get into the Cambridge, uh, Boston uh, side of things. Healthcare, uh, education, without a without a doubt, Name inexplicable crankiness, inexplicable crankiness. Name for me something that we don't do better than like anybody else. Like. So Florida, we, we don't have a bad ha- – Florida definitely beats us in introducing monkeys to the wild that are likely to cause a zombie apocalypse due to an incurable form of hepatitis B, right? Like Florida's got that over us. Sure, so, sure. But they're, they're, they're not even talking about legalizing weed, so we don't have to worry about that right now. All right. Well, hold that thought, all you juggalos, libertarians, eclectic changemakers, and passionate Worcesterites. This is The 508 Show, and we'll be back after these messages with more. Do you know what this thing about re-regulating Christmas tree selling in Worcester is about? Where are we like, <laughs> I did not even know that was a concern. Here I was, so, so, so focused on regulating weed, or over-regulation of weed, I just let it breeze right by me that is, someone in the city would figure out a way to re-regulate Christmas tree I mean, sales. This is pretty much the thing on the council agenda this week. Like, there's a lot of things which are more consequential. Things about, well, let's this building we're going to try to reuse. This building mm-hmm. we're going to try to get actual tenants into. Are we coming back in? Welcome back to the 508 Show with me, Michael Benedetti, the voice of sobriety, and Brendan Melican, the voice of the demon weed and all other weeds. Mike, I. Just want to interject. So we get a big three, actually big platters of um, of donuts from Rocco's Donuts down Millbury here, and they're delicious. This is one that I don't know what I'm eating right now, and it's it's kind of flipping my lid. Like it kind of tastes like peanut butter. It looks like it should be chocolate, but none of it actually fits together. When was the last time you ate something that like 
you put it in your mouth and whatever it was was not what you were expecting it to be. All the time. I I actually my kind of weird, dude. Uh, my uh, my housemates are all incredible cooks and somewhat eclectic cooks, and so um, we don't eat a lot of weird stuff, but we do frequently have vegetables that I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who's been a vegan for 20 years, you would think there would be no vegetable that I did not know what it is, but there's a plenty of vegetables, mm. and especially like um, like what am I thinking of? Like um. Like honey pickled parsnips, for example, is one technically not a vegan product, but like that's the kind of thing that you eat and you're like, well, I never had, that. I never really had this before. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing. I do anyway. want to say though, this plat, these platters of donuts are kind of weirding me out and it's one of my biggest pet peeves in office environments. They're like pizza brings, boxes. Well, no, when people, they cut things up. So you're eating a donut. Just eat the damn donut. It's like you can look from these boxes that people are saying, "Well, I'm on a diet. I'm not going to eat the whole thing." And they're enormous donuts, like the size of a child's head. Gary Rosen did that. that. I bet two dollars. It just I always it always weirded me out whenever you walk into an office space and people are like dicing up little corners of like a bagel or or a donut. Just eat the damn thing. Brent crude oil is $68 a barrel, down 4% on the week. Bitcoin is $5,500, down 12% on the week. That's not a good week. For All these commodities policies. are having a bad week, especially, yeah, 12%. I mean, 55 is like, it's been like kicking around 6,000, yeah. give or take, for months and months now. And All now of the cryptos uh, dropped hard this week. Yeah. Was it specific news or just people getting tired of them? <laughs> yeah, I think they're bored. Moving on to something else. Um this week on the Worcester City Council agenda, there's basically three things that are kind of out of the ordinary. There's a lot of things about, you know, getting uh, getting some money into finally getting some old properties occupied and things like this. But there's sort of three items that are, or there's two items really that are a little bit out of the ordinary. One is the a lot of boards and commissions stuff. We have Tracy Whedon on the Human Rights Commission, Mariana O'Brien on the Elder Affairs Commission, Lisa Malo and Yasmin Goris on the Arts Council, Kira Ter- Terrell to the Thomas Early Scholarship Fund, Savas Cosmetis to the Diversity and Inclusion Advisory Board, and Marie Ducardi to the Cable Television Advisory Board, George Cortez to the Zoning Board of Appeals, and Rachel Brown to the Citizens Advisory Council. A lot of boards and commission appointments for one week. And the other thing is that the mayor wants a report, quote, regarding the regulations and enforcement plan for the selling of Christmas trees for this upcoming holiday season. And just in time for the uh, re-release of uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, uh, here comes Mayor Joe Why Petty in, uh, in his, yeah. Are you aware of any, I mean, this is the kind of thing which could easily be solved with a phone call, but are you aware of any problems that we've had with uh, Christmas tree no, regulation and sales? but something tells me I'm going to be shocked by all of the problems that do occur in the city regarding Christmas tree sales that I'm completely ignorant of. All I know is that I'm one of those people that could probably go without a Christmas tree, even though I love Christmas, like I'm... Totally dig Christmas, but I like it, Chris, it, there's just so much work that goes into it, right? But I always give in at the last minute. We get a Christmas tree. It's a wonderful thing. Everyone's happy. But uh, yeah, I don't pay that much attention to the industry as a result. So you've never had a problem with a. I've never been horns swoggled, bamboozled. Some I don't. Yeah. Drunken Quebecois Christmas I don't know that guy. there's ever been an issue with car. someone was t- selling me a, a spruce when it turned out to be a, a whatever a white pine. I just yeah, I never never had an issue that I'm aware of. What do you? We could make something up. I want to talk about the local handling of the Catholic abuse crisis real quick. Oh, Even though I feel like this is always a down subject, I feel like this is a subject which I don't see a lot of other media covering. So, sort of famously this week, uh, the Catholic bishops had a meeting and they were like, "We want to, we want to have a resolution. We want to have a plan as far as dealing with clergy abuse stuff. Mm. We want to vote on it." And the Vatican said, "Don't vote on your plan." And 
maybe this is because there were some sort of ecclesiastical theological problems with their plan. Maybe this is because the Vatican has a secretly better plan that they want to they want to do next month, and this is going to screw it up. Maybe it's because the Vatican is like just super into dragging their feet on this. I kind of feel like evidence of what people do rather than say would point to the third ex- explanation, but it could be anything. Well, the Vatican but, is not m- known for its quick movements. Well, period. When it needs to, when it needs to, it is. Um, or when it cares about a topic, I mean, like it is. Crusades and whatnot, you got those taken care of pretty quick. So the, I'll tell you the one thing that the Diocese of Worcester has done differently in the last six months around clergy abuse stuff is that we are now uh, praying the prayer of St. Michael at the end of most Masses. This is a prayer for protection against the devil. Uh, this is related to the clergy abuse thing. Well, I think it's good. I mean, as somebody who is wearing a medallion of St. Michael right now, I'm not going to judge this. I think this is fine. I think that it is super weird to me to think that the problem is that we are being attacked by the devil now <laughs> rather than that we were being attacked by the devil so, over the last 50 years and that this prayer is not going to retroactively deal with the actual humongous amount of sex abuse that the devil somehow attacking us in the form of state's attorney generals trying to get to the bottom of this? Is this what this means? It's a confused, I feel like it's a confused gesture. So well-meaning but confused. I have a couple things to stay, say, and this is what I love about doing the show with you as long as we have. I have a feeling that the things that I'm about to say to you, if I said them to just a stranger on the street, we'd either get into a fist fight or we'd never speak again. But somehow we're going to remain friends after this. We are, we are. So here's the problem with the St. Michael routine. You, right? You're just against prayers to angels of any kind. I kind of am. Yeah, you okay. are correct. Right. And I, it, it's funny you mentioned that, though, because... What about your guardian angel? There, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry little, to derail you. That little going. pink-haired troll doll that I carry around with me. No, so as a, as a, as a mostly agnostic dude, right, like yeah. I actually noticed this week that there's been an uptick in uh, activity within the Church of Satan. Because the members of the Church of Satan are actually going out of their way at this point to remind folks that within the Church of Satan is actually an atheist organization. They kind of use the moniker as kind of like an ironic way of pointing out like the, the, the whole line that like the, the greatest uh, trick the devil ever played was, you know, convincing the world he didn't exist. But like yeah. what they re- really believe is that he doesn't exist. That's the whole point. That's one thing over here, too. But so praying to St. Michael. Uh, to cast demons out of any aspect of civic life, it skirts over the real problem, right? Which is still raping children, right? Like, there's no devil involved in any of this. Yes, but here's a... There are, yes. there, there are adult humans with agency raping children, and then there's this organization that doesn't seem to see enough of a problem with the raping of children where it wants to step in and do anything more than every once in a while put out a memo saying, hey, guys, just a reminder, not cool to rape people. Like, they just did this this week, too, with uh, you know, a, another memo that came, up, came out about racism. It's like, oh, thanks for the reminder that we're not supposed to be racist. Like, that's kind of what I was joking about when I said, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church or the Vatican moving kind of slow. It's like, yeah, we got around to that in the 60s here in the United States, and we don't do anything fast around here when it comes to civil liberties or rights. 50s. I, I want to um, defend yeah. the bishop on this now. Well, no, go Stepping ahead. I'm out not, of I'm my not normal knocking thing. the bishop. I'm just pointing out that it's like... What do you, what do you want people to do at Mass that would... <laughs> at the celebration <clears throat> of Mass that would be a step like the kind of step you're trying to take. Like I, the mass is people standing up, sitting down, 
doing rituals, saying prayers, singing songs. Sure. What I want to, within so that context, saying a the, prayer is as good as it's going to get. No, it's not, because at the end of the mass, as as a leader of a of a of what is essentially a civic organization, what the bishop should be doing, what priests should be doing, is making it very clear. Look. We have this whole confessional process, which is is, is, is is fundamentally based on secrecy and confidentiality. If there's anybody in this room who has had a negative experience, regardless of that, what, how negative that experience was with a member of our leadership, we need to know about it now. And we, we want to assure you in, in front of everybody in this congregation that there's not going to be any retribution against you, but we're going to make sure that this person that you're accusing, if we can prove that they accuse that what you're accusing them of is true, they are going to suffer in ways that the Lord Satan could never dream of. That's what the bishop needs to say. And yes. if the bishop doesn't say that, the bishop is, is is unfortunately playing along with the Vatican, which is just doing nothing more than a kind, curt, friendly reminder that, oh, it shouldn't rape people. And again, we, I, I get it. There's a process. There's everyone celebrating in, in mass. There is still this underwriting current. We are talking about raping children, and you have adults who claim to be in communication with omniscient, omnipotent, and benevolent higher beings, yet they still can't seem to figure out the right way to deal with child rapists. Also sexual assaulters of young adults. Also sexual, uh, yeah, I just like using the word rape. It seems to it's drive good, the point it's a home good a little clear, bit better. It's a good well, I think, I think we, like I think we say, agree, I I think we agree on this. And I, you know, my, I would, you know, my only modification to your proposal is I would put that, I would, I would want to put that in a more of, in the form of a prayer than in a, uh, the form of a, the form Neeson. of a Liam Neeson I, I, I was monologue. Sticking into the Liam uh, Neeson theme, I thought just it would to work. Fit in with the, just to fit in with the vibe of the mass, yeah. I would be like, "No, I'm with you." The prayer is the way to go, but I feel like the Liam Neeson sentiment is the right sentiment. But I, I feel like we're probably going to be kicked off the air soon. I mean, could you would you agree though that in your experience uh, within uh, a setting of like a mass or within a congregation? Has there re have you ever really heard somebody speak in a way that was reassuring to somebody who could be in that room, sitting, could be sitting right next to you, who has ha maybe gone through that kind of experience where you felt like, oh, they're talking to this person and I they're making sure that they know that uh, if, if, if there is justice to be had outside of the, the context just of the church, I'm talking about greater sense, right. that that's going to be taken care of? Because I don't feel like I've ever really heard somebody of authority within the church say, you know what, we really need to be, be making sure we're going hard in a judicial sense on, on these folks. I've heard it, and I've heard it at Mass, and the problem is that I don't hear it at every Mass, okay. and that you could be a Mass goer, and if you were skipping the right Masses, you would never hear it. Yeah. That it's just not, it needs to be a built-in part of the Mass, and it's not. <sighs> could that be part of a uh, city ready to go? Agenda? Are you ready to go home? <laughs> Gabby's packing up her, her equipment here. I mean, this is a. I don't feel like the. I feel like the handling of Catholic clergy abuse seems so far outside of the council's. You would think wheelhouse. Right? I but, would love that to be part of the. But I think there's something important to be had there, right? I had a similar conversation this week with uh, about Holy Cross, right? Which I don't want to get in the weed zone because we only got like a minute left. But Holy Cross is going through some Title IX issues right now regarding right. sexual assault on campus, allegations of sexual assault. I will acknowledge that up until this week, the only thing I knew about Title IX was uh, its provisions in providing equity in terms of sports and activities on campuses. I didn't realize that there was this whole component that almost seems to create an extrajudicial process for private hearings oh, about yeah. allegations oh, yeah. of sexual assault. So, like, I, I do think, although yeah, you start getting into some weird territory about church and state and whatnot, we are ultimately talking about crimes. 
and we're talking about crimes that uh, involve certain degrees of mandated reporting, uh, I think it probably makes sense that we have an extension of uh, universal mandated reporting that ex that goes into college campuses to ensure if anybody is aware of, uh, of an alleged crime, that it's reported to the proper authorities, not just dealt with as a pro through a process of internal review. And I think the same should probably go for religious institutions too. Any institution really, right? I mean, I can't think of many institutions uh, where we, we, we should be willing to say, they are just so good at taking care of their own, we don't need to ever have to worry about law enforcement or investigators or uh, judges to ever be involved in any of their processes. Like, that, that's right. a scary place to me. I think you probably got some room where you could on a local level say, hey, you know what, we want a little bit more police oversight of what's going on here. We should ask people that question and just see how they respond. I would love to see that. What do you think physical fitness-wise? Should we still be asking people about how much they should bench or are there other physical fitness issues for 2019? Uh, bench pressing, different? I think, would be good. Um, we should probably get into running, too. I'd like to get... Yeah, it wasn't until the last two years I started spending more, uh, paying more attention to cardio. My, my wife, my lovely, lovely wife, finally got through to me that pizza and beer was not actually a, uh, the path to good cardiac fitness. Uh, and I've been running more. And it's, I find it to be a pretty awesome thing. But it's, as a newcomer to the world of cardio, I think that's something we should be throwing out there to folks as well, too. Do you we can, want to hear about sprint times, marathon times? Um, I think sprint, yeah, I, I'm, I know nothing about marathons. So that, that could get, I would, above my pay grade, would have to bring Scott Schaefer Duffy in to referee those conversations. Yeah. Um, how, about, how about what's the farthest you've traveled running. on foot in one day? Yeah, I think it just needs to be a cardiac, a cardio push, right? I mean, because what swim, are we really learning swim. about somebody if we know that they can bench press a Volkswagen, <gasps> but their heart might still explode? Resting heart rate. We that's, can just measure that right on the show. Yeah, we should get heart rate monitors for all of our that's guests. That's just like one of these, we Actually, should do these things. The feature of our political segments is you can't come on to talk politics unless you're wearing a heart rate monitor. Well, you know these things about like, oh, your ability to get off the ground without using your hands is a sign of how much how much longer you're going to live. Your grip strength is a good indicator of like your general health and really? your mortality. There's all these hmm. little, little things like this that they'll be like, oh, yeah, like if, if you have to use your hands to like stand up from sitting on the ground, like... The chances of you dying in the next five years go are 50% higher or something. I feel like we could just simply do this for people. For any running for office who wasn't, you know, in a wheelchair or whatever, you could just be like, I want you to get on the ground and show me if you can stand up. I want to see your grip strength. I want to see your heart rate. We don't want any city councilors to die in office. you got to be – we want you to know that you are in physically – good shape. Yeah. This isn't about body mass index. This isn't about are you hot. Yeah. This is about do you have the raw physical stamina to, to go through to maybe the, the most intense experience a human can, which is a servitude term on the city council. You're going to spend two years being the arbiter of, uh, the, uh, of the sale of Christmas trees within the city of Worcester. You obviously need to be in peak physical shape. This is 508. Thanks, Gabby, for doing the show. Thank people for listening to the show. In the fragments that it has come to you, we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.